welcome to Let's Talk About the Facts, your favorite place for stories about murder, cold cases, hauntings, nauntings, if you will, aliens, if you tuned in last week, I think, yeah, that sounds about right, and I'm your host, Elizabeth Fury, who does not remember what she recorded last week. Anyway, welcome back old listeners and welcome for the first time new listeners we're very excited to have you on with us in 2021 i am bringing you today a very special episode because this is a listener request um oh sorry our listener wished wished to stay anonymous i was about to name them and then i wrote do not name them so this is from do not name them And we will be doing a very interesting episode, but today I wanted to start out with the context because I feel like that would be an interesting place to start. There was so much happening in that year. I have so many things that I'm so excited to share with you, but it's just, it was a wild ride realizing everything that happened contextually at the same time that this was happening. And you realize, wow. So there's a lot going on in the year of 1976. Jimmy Carter beats Gerald Ford in the election, which Gerald Ford beat out Ronald Reagan for the nomination, just so you guys know. And we are still in the midst of the cold world in the 70s energy crisis And for all of us crime and spooky aficionados, this was the year that the Lutz family bounced from their Amityville home in Long Island, New York, as well as the same year that William Bradford Bishop, a well-known family annihilator, committed his crime and took off, never to be caught for it. And then Patty Hearst was also found guilty of armed robbery of a bank. And her culpability has been the source of many a media debate. Then the crime spree of the son of Sam also begins in New York, but it would lead into the next year until David Berkowitz's arrest. I also found out that as of this recording, David Berkowitz was still alive. Like he's still alive right now. I don't know why that blew my mind. I know that in New York at the time that he was arrested, he was given life in prison because either they had like a moratorium on the death penalty or didn't have the death penalty at the time, but they do now, something like that. Like here in California, certain people are still alive because we have the death penalty, but there's a moratorium. So like you can be on death row, but you're not going to be put to death. And if you've listened to any of my criminal justice episodes, I'm not for the death penalty, but for some reason... I think it's just the way that the media portrays the Son of Sam case. It kind of feels like he's already dead, except this guy is only two years older than my father. So kind of blows my mind. Anyway, so all of those cases, I look forward to discussing with you at length in the future. Just hold those, put some big old pins in them because I am definitely planning on talking about it. But also 1976 hotel California was released. And I feel like that's a song that everyone knows. 
there's a little girl I used to nanny for. She used to say cool whip in my hair as in delicious kind of dairy product in your hair. Hilarious. And there was a whole lot of political shit and space stuff happening. That's not this podcast. That's another podcast. I encourage you to listen to those podcasts because very cool stuff, but I didn't want to cram it into a context situation. But, you know, whatever. But this year also was the year of the bicentennial. Could you imagine? Like, I certainly cannot. Because having that level of patriotism in 2021 seems, like, honestly fictional to me. But anyway, guess what, 17, nope, 1976. (laughs) Just kidding. 1976 also had Bones in the Boathouse. Indeed, that is our story today. So, in the 1970s, a man named Emery Kolb, who was a well-known photographer and often worked with his brother Ellsworth, passed away. Phenomenal names. Relatives were cleaning out his property slash estate in the Grand Canyon, and they discovered a complete skeleton of a human man inside of a canoe in the boathouse on the Colorado River. Yeah, you heard me. Complete skeleton inside of a canoe. Anyway, upon testing and investigation, this skeleton was determined to be a white man over six feet tall and killed by a single bullet to the head. Yeah, we're rolling out the gate straight with the story. So unfortunately, there were not any witnesses to ask or kind of a place to really start regarding the skeleton as it was 1976. And oh boy, did we not have the methods of investigation or technology that we do today. Think about that. You're in 1976. Columbo is probably going to be really accurate in how things were kind of investigated, you know, especially due to the fact that the star witness was buried six feet under and he left nothing related to this skeleton whatsoever. So honestly, when was the last time he even went down to the boathouse? Like no one could say. He was rather old at the time, probably a little curmudgeonly, one might speculate. I mean, like, I would be, you know, I'm not going down there. I'm chilling in my house with my television. But then again, 1976, I don't know what people did then. I was not alive. So, of course, there were what detectives took far too seriously, but it's the rabbit hole we will be delving into today, and that's rumors. That's what the true crime community is all about, the rumors. So people believed that 50 years after they disappeared, there may finally be an answer to what happened to a couple who had vanished while boating on the Colorado River. You heard me. So we have a body in this boathouse that we've discovered in 1976. But 50 years prior, there was a disappearment, a vanishing, and people suspect that they have may have been related. 
So did Emery Kolb's family find the body of Glenn Hyde, therefore making it a strong theory that Emery Kolb, or someone close to him at the time, was now a killer? So newspapers, of course, began to run with this story. I mean, they sh- they shot out like the Kentucky Derby. That's what newspapers do, especially without like the internet. I mean, internet's even faster. And they began to speculate what happened. And obviously, no data was there to back it up. But how does this make sense to begin with? So hold on to your tater tots because we are entering Storyception. That's right. A story inside of a story. So this part is the disappearance of Glenn and Bessie Hyde. So we're going to hop into the Wayback Machine. We're already in 1976. Let's just keep going. And we're going to head into the lovely year of 1928. You have the birth of Mickey Mouse, penicillin, the fated flight of Amelia Earhart, and like a bunch of other things. But you also have Glenn and Bessie Hyde. A newlywed couple who are about to embark on a honeymoon trip down the Colorado River at the Grand Canyon. And at the time, the rapids were rather intense and not well documented. It's 1928. What's documented? I mean, come on. So, Glenn was not a novice at this sport, if you will. And Bessie would have been the first documented woman to accomplish the feat of going down the rapids of the Colorado River. However this works out. I've never really been there. I tried to look up a map. It was very confusing. I did my best. But basically, she would have been the first woman had they completed their trip. Unfortunately, they were last seen on the Colorado River in November of 1928, never to be heard from again. Glenn and Bessie met on a passenger ship traveling to Los Angeles, you know, my city, in 1927, and were married on April 12th, 1928. That's the 16th anniversary of the Titanic sinking, and only a day after Bessie's divorce from her first husband was finalized. And if that's not an omen, what is? I mean, my parents were married on the actual day Mount St. Helens blew her top. So, I mean, like, yeah, I'm 100% on this omen boat, if you will. So, Glenn was an expert boat builder who had extensive rafting experience. And he made his way through the Salmon and Snake Rivers in Idaho only a few years earlier. So he built them a 20-foot-long wooden sweep scow, and they began their honeymoon escapade down the Green and Colorado Rivers in October of 1928. So if you were to look up a wooden sweep scow, it would make a lot of sense of what it is. It's kind of a long boat with, like, bucket seats on either side. It kind of looks like a seesaw, but if you look up sweep scow, 100% this case comes up. Just so you know. So for Glenn, this was not just like a casual lazy river float, right? He was dead set on making a new speed record for traveling through the Grand Canyon. And he wanted Bessie to make that historical first documented woman to run the canyon as well. Bessie kept a detailed journal that was recovered 
and soon I'll tell you how it's found. But according to her notes, they were ahead of their schedule and making great progress. The two decided to stop and resupply on November 16th, and they hiked along the Bright Angel Trail, where they met the brothers Ellsworth and Emery Kolb. They were legendary photographers who operated on a cliffside studio. And in 1928, like, that's kind of awesome, but even, like, in 2021, still awesome. Throwing that out there. So this is where our storyception intersects. Glenn and Bessie introduce themselves to the Kolbs, and they tell them that they had spent their honeymoon on the river for the past 26 days and asked if they could have their photo taken on the canyon rim and come back and get it once their trip was over. Of course, the brothers agree. I mean, it's work. And remember, this is 1928, and the photos took time to process, and even if the couple did wait for it to be finished, that would be something hugely expensive to potentially lose while rapidzing, rafting. Yes. So here's where it gets interesting. According to Emery Kolb, our man in question, Glenn told the brothers they did not have life preservers. And Emery warns Glenn, but he apparently laughed him off like, what's the worst that could happen type manner? Like, Glenn was an old pro, of course. But in his hindsight and reality, you always need life-saving equipment. Always. In 1928 and in 2021. Okay. A hundred years? Still need it. Moving on. And always ask for directions. Even if it's from your phone. Anyway, Emery noted that Bessie looked nervous about the remaining journey ahead. Perhaps it had something to do with the lack of life-saving equipment. Gonna throw that down. But, you know, we just, we're just gonna say she looked nervous. So they prepared to head down the trail to their boat. And this part, unsubstantiated, but I did read it in a couple of articles, so I'm gonna let you know. Apparently, Emery Kolb's daughter, Emily, showed up and gave them a farewell. She was apparently nicely dressed, and Bessie may have remarked, I wonder if I shall ever wear pretty shoes again. Okay. Like, cool. I'd rather wear, you know, comfy shoes, but that's just me. Um, they do make both, by the way, pretty comfy shoes. Gonna toss that out. However, this would make the Kolb brothers and potentially Emily Kolb as the last people to see Glenn and Bessie Hyde. An article I read noted that some historians, and I want to know the people who are historians on this one case, like, I do need to meet them, placed a man named Alf, um, sorry, Adolf G. Sutro accompanying the couple back to the canyon taking photographs, and even riding a short distance with them in the boat. So if that part's true, Sutra would be the last likely person to see them alive. However, from what I read, Adolf Sutra was the 30th mayor of San Francisco and died in 1898. Of course, could have been a coincidence of a similar name, but also 
could have been a pseudonym. Put a little pin in that. Just going to toss it out as a potential, like, hmm. Because I, no one has a theory in regards to this Adolf G. Sutro guy. I don't even know where he came from, but I read it in many articles. So there you go. By early December, Glenn and Bessie had not been heard from. The only people who would have had a timeline to look for the couple would have been the Cole brothers, as they were waiting for the couple to come back for their picture. So, Emery Kolb, still our guy, initiated a search of the area, which included a small plane that flew through the inner gorge of the canyon. The pilot spotted the hide's scow snagged on the rocks on the river. When the rescue party, which included Kolb, reached the boat, they found everything securely packed. Food, clothing, books, and you guessed it, Bessie's journal, were neatly in place. A camera found on the boat revealed the final photo to have been shot near River Mile 165 on or about November 27th. Just a small reminder, we are in early December, so that's at minimum a week earlier. So Glenn's father, Reith Hyde, hired a group of men to search the canyon within the area Glenn and Bessie likely traveled. Months passed with no success, and now nearly a hundred years have passed, and no one knows what the fate of the couple was. Were there theories? Of course. Humans do nothing if not speculate wildly about the unknown. So one theory suggests that Glenn was an abusive husband whose prolonged exposure to extreme conditions of rafting in the canyon brought out the worst in him. Speculation by some would say Bessie was just done and the rough treatment from her new husband led her to straight up murder him and she hiked out of the canyon to start a new life. I can't imagine hiking out of the Grand Canyon being easy. Like I would have finished the trip, killed him and been you know been somewhere easier to you know move on but you know hey many of glenn's friends and family members were like no he's not an abusive person and he really really loved bessie and for the record i just want to bring back some facts but first off i will say yes camping is horrible and i would never No, like, it would bring out the nastiest in me as well. Full disclosure, I will not go camping with you. Don't ask. It's 100% not happening. But Glenn and Bessie married as soon as possible, the day after her divorce was complete. And this was their honeymoon trip. Like, this is literally the honeymoon period. Glenn wanted Bessie to make history as the first woman to accomplish this feat. So I have some questions about the abusive husband angle because it seems like kind of popular, but not so much substantiated from what I found. Totally could be true, but also from what I read, it also could have been dumb husband angle and he got them both killed. Just going to say. Another theory, which I just consider an addendum to the first would posit Bessie shot and killed Glenn 
because of his abusive tendencies, blah, blah, blah. Some friends of a woman named Georgie Clark, who gained notoriety for her rafting adventures in the Grand Canyon, would speculate that she, in fact, was the real Bessie Hyde. So that would mean if Georgie Clark was Bessie Hyde, she survived the escape into the canyon and started that new life. But let's look into Georgie Clark as a human being and also her death. So Clark's connection to Bessie began to be called into question when her friends were going through her things after her death in 1992. So people who had known her for decades had never been invited inside of her home. Honestly, though, I can see why now these nosy Nancys, her friends, if that's what they even were, learned that her birth certificate indicated her real name was Betsy DeRoss, or Bessie DeRoss, sorry, Bessie DeRoss, not Georgie. And the surnames of Clark and White, which was another last name that she was known to use, were those of husbands that she had divorced. Curiosity blew out of proportion when they found the marriage license of Glenn and Bessie Hyde, as well as a pistol in her lingerie drawer. I mean, that's just a safe place to keep it. So, sunk without a sound, the tragic Colorado honeymoon, Colorado River honeymoon of Glenn and Bessie Hyde was a book by Colorado River historian Brad Dimmick. It investigates the story of the Hydes and subsequent theories. And Dimmick took a look at the items from Georgie Clark's home and concluded from the photographs of Georgie Clark that she and Bessie Hyde were not the same person. Then there's Richard Westwood. He's the author of Woman of the River, Georgie White Clark, Whitewater Pioneer. He's also stated that there is little proof to substantiate the theory that Clark was actually Bessie Hyde. So coming from both angles, authors who have studied these women extensively have concluded they're two separate women. Then there is the Occam's razor of the situation. Occam's razor being sometimes the simple solution is the solution. Some historians surmise that a likely scenario for what happened to both Glenn and Bessie is that they accidentally drowned in the Colorado River. At the time, mile, the mile 232 rapid was not well known and was not charted in 1928, as we mentioned earlier, that things weren't charted well. And it's the 20s, the 1920s. Yet it is regarded as one of the most brutal areas of the river the hides most likely did not have the appropriate equipment to tackle this rapid of course if one wants to think logically it has been said that bessie most likely fell into the rapids and glenn leapt in to save her but both tragically drown as a result of not having life-saving equipment such as the life vest those did exist because guess what they had him on the Titanic. But we're going to circle back now to 1976. I told you the story of Glenn and Bessie Hyde. But remember, we have a bone to pick with Emery Cole. Pun intended. So in 1976, we still had the skeletal remains with a bullet hole inside the skull. 
that were found on the canyon rim on the property that belonged to Emery Kolb. And he was reportedly one of the last people to see the hides alive. And he was in the rescue party. And he paid for a plane to go through the gorge that discovered their scow. Like, he was invested in this one. However, a forensic investigation found that the skeleton belonged to a man no older than 22 who died no earlier than 1972, which absolutely ruled out Glenn Hyde. Scientists compared the photographs of Glenn to the skull from Emery Kolb's boathouse, and they realized that the facial structures were drastically different. Was Emery Kolb a murderer? If so, why was he storing the body in his boathouse? If not, did he charge rent for storing a body in his boathouse for someone else? Did someone go over his financials? Even though the body does not match Glenn Hyde, it still makes Emery Kolb a much more sinister character. Some believe that he still killed Glenn Hyde and that his mo- motive would be that he was in love with Bessie and he would want her so badly he was willing to kill Glenn. But people who knew him are like, no. But they were also shocked that he had a literal skeleton in his canoe. But he also just had like a very small interaction with Bessie. But I can't rule that out due to a limited interaction because, you know, if you pay attention to the true crime community or basically what happens when a woman rejects a man and it ends up in a headline, I'm just saying I don't know Emery Kolb. But it could have been one of those situations. So, I can't rule out a man just going postal for no reason. Um, some say that the most, rom- the most romantic and probably the most plausible theory is that one of the hides fell into the, the waters of the Colorado and the other jumped in in an attempt to save them. Hypothermia would likely have kicked in very quickly as the Colorado River is known to be incredibly cold and neither had life jackets. They would have been swept into the rapids, carried down the river. The boat was very sturdy and it just gently floated into the next natural harbor. And since it had been a month since they disappeared, their remains could have been eaten by fish and scattered in the waters of the Grand Canyon or just taken down with the rest. So it's very possible that no one will ever know the true story of what happened to Glenn and Bessie Hyde. So that will probably remain unsolved. But what does not have to remain unsolved is the unidentified man from the boathouse. With new genetic testing, maybe there's a familial DNA test that can be performed to figure out who this man was or how he ended up in there. Someone has to be missing him. But for now... It will definitely remain a mystery. So thank you for joining us on Let's Talk About the Facts. Would love to hear some theories that aren't popular or if anyone thinks they know who the man in the boathouse was. I couldn't come up with anything. I don't know anyone who went missing in 1972 that I felt really fit the, fit the picture here, but... 
I think it's worth investigating. Part of me feels like Emery Culp had no idea he was down there. Because if he was like a grown-ass man working in the 20s, roughly what in the... I'm not sure how old he was when he died, but like if he had been dead for four years, there's a strong chance that he had not been in the boathouse for quite some time. So perhaps somebody else did put this man down there and he had no idea because there is no mention among his effects about a body down there or anybody he murdered. And I don't think there was foul play on the Kolb's part regarding Glenn and Bessie. I do think it was a drowning, but that's my personal opinion. If you have a theory regarding anything else, I'd love to hear it. So tweet at me at T-A-L-K-A-B-T-F-A-C-T-S. That's Talk About Facts. Instagram is the same handle. Or you can email us at ltatfpodcast at gmail.com and submit a story that you'd like to hear us cover i say us very liberally it's just me uh, but yes thank you person who is not to be named for submitting this one it was a really interesting to kind of research something i didn't know this was an incredible story with layers storyception so thank you so much we will see you next week and all of you guys stay safe out there it's getting wild make sure to wear your mask Goodbye.